This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, I'm Melinda Snodgrass, the writer of The Measure of a Man for Star Trek Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today, Richard and Justin. How are you guys doing today? Fantastic. How are you? Justin? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. Glad to be here for a special episode. We had a cliffhanger on another show. <laughs> yes. Oh, more like we're flexing our muscle, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, we are. TNG's taking the lead here. Well, listeners, we had some very interesting feedback from Earl Grey 218, Favorite Badass Picard Moments. Very exciting to read all your comments, and thank you. And Justin, you want to start us off? Yeah, so Wes Huntington said, all excellent choices. I have to say that prior to first contact, when I think of a badass Picard moment, it would be that scene in yesterday's Enterprise that Justin mentioned in which Picard takes control of tactical while the bridge is on fire. However, I am surprised that a badass moment that was not mentioned was his decision to ram the Enterprise against the scimitar in Nemesis. That is something I know is badass, and while it is subtle, it could be seen as one. I could not agree more. That is... If I were there, that would have been one of my choices. Yes, always putting in your nemesis mentions. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you would have been because it's a Troy moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was some discussion about that, whether it was a Troy moment or a Picard I moment. I still think it is. I mean, because, I mean, granted, he gives the order, but it was, it was you know, who gets blamed for crashing the ship? Hey, now. She's just, hey, she's following <laughs> orders and, and trying to save the ship and generation. We've had that discussion yeah. before. Yeah, but, but she doesn't have to follow orders. I mean, especially if it's not a good sound one. It I is mean, come on, a, it's a very good. It's a text message. How can you yeah. disregard that? <laughs> but I mean. Is it a text message? It's probably it is. More There's like I text am. that pops up yeah. on her screen that tells her to yep. do it. <laughs> but I mean, Picard's look when he, you know, makes that de- decision that's what's badass about it. It's like, aha, I know what to do. I know how to get him. And it's it's perfect. It is very subtle, but definitely worth a mention. So thank you, Wes. I thought of all people, you would actually appreciate me calling it a Troy moment. It, it is, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> oh, man. Nice. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, Christopher Baca said, uh, Picard in the hunted when he decides to beam out and let the, the local authorities handle the situation. Couldn't agree more. You know, that nature sort of like relationship, you know, just take care of it. Yep. 
We're not going to nurture you. Nope, forget it's it. It's your We're problem. Out. You decide. Yeah. And knowing when to step back <laughs> is a really good badass moment. Do you really think that he just no? He knew. He just he said he just got fed up with it and says, "Forget it. Let's just get out of here." I don't know. I haven't seen the episode for a while, but I know it's a it's a great moment when they want to drag him in further, and he's like. Nope, I'm not going to get involved with this. And uh, I think I made a comment. It's like Picard out. Yes. <laughs> Just beams away. <laughs> and they have to deal with the situation they've created. So, yeah, thanks, Christopher. Uh, I hadn't thought of that one. It's a great moment. Well, Greg Malumbi says, I'm glad someone mentioned the scene in Unification. I love that scene because it's like the defector scene. Picard giving you a smirk is intimidating enough. Yes, it is. One that was not mentioned was Ensigns of Command and putting the Sheliac on hold. Still funny after all of these years. It's very true. I also loved his scenes in the drumhead. You know, there are some words I've known since I was a schoolboy. With the first link, the chain is forged. The first speech censured. The first thought forbidden. The first freedom denied. Chains us all irrevocably. Those words were uttered by Judge Aaron Satie as wisdom and warning. The first time any man's freedom is trodden on, we're all damaged. Yes, that is, I mean, Picard gives a great speech. Those are great words. Definitely a badass moment. Oh, for, for sure. Yeah, in, in the drumhead when he's challenging Admiral Satie. And also the one that was mentioned with the Sheliak. I just, I just love that, how he's taking control of the situation and... Uh, dusting off the plaque and making them wait and yeah those are some and, and as we mentioned in the episode he has great moments that don't involve firing weapons or punching people it's just in his actions and his words yeah. that he can be a badass and i love that uh so johnson lie says thank you for this episode i love it when people geek out on one of my favorite shows also thanks for bringing up the fact that being a badass doesn't always mean running around with phasers firing words can be just as powerful particularly when they end a conflict well, thank you for the comment, Johnson, and glad that you enjoy our podcast and that we geek out on the next generation. Um, listeners, if you haven't listened to Standard Orbit that dropped yesterday, we would strongly advise that you do that because we are having a crossover first with the Standard Orbit, and we're finishing up our Trek Madness uh, with standard orbit obviously so we have ken and zach how are you guys doing ken doing great amy glad to be aboard earl gray it's been a while and uh, we appreciate it we're having a good time with this uh, at least i am so so thanks for having me zach well you speak for yourself ken i was hoping that tos would be better and the results but uh, we're down uh nine to three we got a lot of work to do today so let's let's get down to it but uh all, all, all jokes aside i uh I, I, this has been a lot of fun i'm glad that we're having this chance to, to talk about uh an excuse to talk about each other's shows because we all lo- both love tos and tng so it's a lot of fun to to delve into this stuff uh, we wouldn't otherwise get a chance to talk about on the network absolutely and zach you're being a little humble this was your idea so kudos to you it's a great idea to get us all together we just we have good friendships amongst us all so it's been really fun well yeah i i, I had the kernel of this idea and i proposed it but amy you really picked up the ball and ran with it and made a whole bracket system and rankings and all this stuff so all, all credit to you for for doing the legwork on it all right well let's get to it we are going to finish up and we're going to talk about the best 12 episodes of the last seasons of the original series, season three, and season seven of Next Gen. 
And if you listen to uh, Standard Orbit, Zach did a great job with the little synopsis. So he's going to take it away and we will start our round 12 with That Which Survives and Homeward. All right. So That Which Survives is an episode where they go to a uh, Starfleet outpost. Uh, people are dying. They see a, a well, a, a female alien that's coming. And whenever she touches you, bad things happen. Uh, they find out she's actually a projection and et cetera, et cetera. Haiji Sinsu, uh, the day is saved uh, eventually. So uh, Homeward is about uh, Worf's adoptive brother. Uh, who is staying on a planet as an observer. He gets uh, wrapped up in the culture, he, and he uses the Enterprise-D's holodeck to transport them to a new planet without their knowledge. All right. Well, Ken, let's start with you. What do you think about these two episodes? Well, I was not a big fan of that which survives, I, I have to say. Um, although the Enterprise did get to 14.1, Anybody want to talk about Warp 14.1? So, what is that on the TNG <laughs> scale, like 9.999 or something? <laughs> something <Yeah. laughs> weird like that, yes. I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure uh, where, where that wind up on, on the scale. So I, I, I just didn't like it. However, on the TNG side of things, I like this episode. I, I, I did. So I'm, I'm, God, we're so far behind, but I'm going with TNG. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, this is a tough one for me because That Which Survives was actually the last episode of TOS I ever saw. Like, that was, I'd seen all of them, right? And this is the last one. So, it's especially fresh to me. Uh, I did like seeing Spock in command. I think we had mentioned last, in our last episode, that he's kind of a jerk. When he's in, when he's in command, he's like, be more precise with your calculations. <laughs> I'm like, man, really, man? Like, is it really? And not everybody's a Vulcan. Um, I did like seeing, uh, uh, you know, the the landing party at Kirk and Sulu. You know, had had some more stuff to do. It's it's not Kirk, Spock, and Bones for a change. So mixing it up, uh, you get Lee Merriweather as the as the alien who played Catwoman in the Batman movie from the '60s. So I recognized her from that. She's actually my favorite of the three Catwoman from Batman movies. So um, I I yeah I enjoyed this episode. Uh, and Homeward, ew, you know it's not Homeward's fault, but it's like that plot has kind of been copied around. Like, we're going to use the holodeck for some other stuff, like Insurrection, et cetera. Um, it was okay, but I, uh, if I had to pick, I'm going with That Which Survives, going TOS. Okay. Uh, Justin, what about you? Well, for, for That Which Survives, I, I mean, it's it's fine, but I feel like actually the, the idea of someone touches you and you die was done better in The Man Trap, which I, is an epi- TOS episode I really enjoy. Uh, Homeward, I, I really like the episode. There's some interesting prime directive considerations and you think about what it really means when they're just standing by and letting a whole uh, civilization die and what it means to preserve that culture. And I like the stuff with Worf. Paul Sorvino is great as as Worf's um, kind of foster brother. So I am going to go with Homeward. All right, Richard. Um, not that it matters. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um I, you know, there's not much more to say uh, from what you guys have already said. So I'm just going to go with Homeward. I actually enjoyed this uh, episode more than I did uh, That of Which Survives. Or That of That Which Survives. Yes. And I also like Homeward. I like uh, seeing more Worf's character, especially not being Klingon. And so the dynamics that he has with him and his brother. So I too am going Homeward which makes TNG taking this round. All right. Uh, round 11, 
That would be Let That Be Your Last Battlefield against Journey's End. Let That Be Your Last Battlefield is the classic episode with the black and white faces. Uh, we, see, you know, I mentioned Catwoman last episode. We have Frank Gorshin who played the Riddler on Batman. He is he is a uh, Beale, uh, and he's pr- pursuing a criminal called Loki. And one is black on the right side, one is black on the left side, and that is their whole cultural. Uh, conflict, and he's been chasing him across the galaxy for thousands of years, and the Enterprise gets mixed up in their uh, battle and, and and cat and mouse game, I would say. Uh, Journey's End is uh, kind of the beginning of the whole Maquis storyline. We have uh, a planet of Native Americans uh, settlement who have moved from Earth to this planet. Uh, they have need to be resettled due to some Cardassian uh, treaties that we've signed. Uh, Wesley is involved. He decides to take it upon himself to stand up for these guys. Uh, the Traveler makes an appearance, and this is the uh, uh, the, the titular journey's end is Wesley's journey's end with Starfleet because he goes off to be a traveler, I guess, at the end. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, Zach, we're going to start with you. Okay. Uh, let that be your last. Let, let that be your last battlefield by far. I really enjoy this. Is my favorite uh, season three episodes. Tos. Uh, like I said, you had some great guest stars. Uh, you see the auto destruct uh, for the first time, uh, and they carry that on to, to Star Trek three, which everyone knows is my favorite Star Trek movie. Um, I like people will criticize it for how you know simple it is and how stupid it is. They're like, well, you're just telling me that they, they have different colors on each side of their face. So that's stupid. But that's the point. Racism is stupid. Like, that's the whole point. And it, it puts them in that context. And you realize how stupid it is in real life, not just in fiction. So that's why I'm going Thought that be a last battlefield. Just as a couple words on Journey's in. Not a big fan of it. Wesley's kind of a jerk for no reason. Off the jump. And, uh... Picard faced with the same situation in Insurrection does the opposite thing. So I'm not really, not the biggest fan of this one. All right. Justin, how about you? Well, so for Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, I mean, I do like the the message. Like you were saying, Zach, racism is stupid. So, I mean, it's making it so obvious that that you get the point. I like that part of it. It's also kind of cool that these guys have been chasing each other for 50,000 years. I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? I do have a few issues with it. Like, I think... they spend too long with them like running around in the corridors. I get a little bored by that. And then at the end of the episode, it's like, eh, they beam down, they'll work it out there. Let's just leave. I mean, so the ending doesn't doesn't work for me for that one. Journey's End, on the other hand, I really like Journey's End a lot for for a couple of reasons. Because it's it's kind of it is wrapping up Wesley's arc, but it's it's kind of like there's something more for him than just being part of Starfleet and doing what his mother and and father have done before him. I think, you know, for the most part, the way that they're depicting Native Americans and issues of removal is is pretty good. There are a few issues because his, you know, spiritual advisor is really the traveler and not someone who's Native American. But overall, I, I really enjoy uh, Journey's End, and that's the one I'm going to go with. Okay. All right. One each. All right, Richard. I think you already know where I'm going to go with <laughs> yeah, this one. Yeah, I think we all know. <laughs> yeah, whenever it's against Wesley, that's what you'll do. It's a great story. Don't get me wrong. Journey's End is a great story. It really is. And then you had to interject that stupid brat child. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I, I mean, it's a great story. And I actually uh, like Let That let that Be Your Last Battlefield. I really love that episode. Um, and... It actually, I misquoted in uh, in Standard Orbit. Um, Wesley's stories are all at the bottom of the list, and then comes Spock's brain. So um, I'm going to go with um, <laughs> "Let that be your last battlefield." <laughs> wow! All right. 
Well, I, um, first, I think both of these episodes are very pivotal. Um, you've got your battlefield, which definitely is epic. And when people think about TOS, I think this is one that just comes to, to mind. Um, I think it's very, like I said, bonk, bonk on the head, but that's the purpose of it. And with Journey's End, like it's definitely has its reasons to love it too. The beginning of the Maquis story. And I like Wesley has a reason to be a jerk. He's going through major turmoil of, you know, do I live up to the expectations of what my family has put out for me or do I forge my own path? Um, so this one is actually difficult, but I am going with Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. And Ken. Well, hey, uh, thank you. First of all, uh, it, it may be bonk bonk on the head when you talk about Last Battlefield, but think about the year that this was made and aired for all the civil rights marches, for all the things that were going on in the 60s, which were very tumultuous to say the least. The end of segregation, Martin Luther King. Guys, it is a lot bigger than you're you're making it out to be looking at it through today's lens. Back then it was a message people needed to see because they were getting just like we do in today's politics, we get wrapped around the axle and being right about whatever position we're in a lot of times versus just stopping being getting getting the emotion down and just look at what it is. So yes, racism is stupid, but at the time this was critical. It was something that was not being you know, yelled from the rooftops from other television. It wasn't being touched by other television shows. So just, I just I have to put that context in there because I've heard that on Mission Log. I've, I've heard, and it's like, guys, you know, if, if you don't look at the context of when this was made and what was going on, then you're missing the point because it's not made for us today, 50 years later. It's not. Um, Journey's End, I thought was, was okay. I, I, I guess for me, there's a lot of things and it happens on the TOS side of things as well. You, you start a concept in a show and then things come back and it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And continuity was getting better in TNG. And this is where I, I, I lose it. You know, what, what's, what's, What's Wesley doing in Nemesis? What happened in Insurrection? Where where was the moral outcry? I and 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 I guess when I frame across that whole thing, it, it's it's a little bit different. So I'm looking at it through a larger mosaic, like I am with Last Battlefield, and I have to go with Battlefield. All right. Well, TOS took that one. Very good. All right. Round ten. We have for the world is hollow. And, and I touched touch the, the sky. sky. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, believe, I believe that was the longest title still in Star is. Trek history. And it, it is. is. It still is. Discovery, yes. Slams, Cry, The Butcher's Knife. That, is that longer? That was two characters short of For the Ooh. World is Hollow. But it's still the Made longest. It. But who knows? Discovery might beat that someday. <laughs> and that's going up against TNG's Force of Nature. All right, so For the World is Hollow and I Touch the Sky, McCoy discovers he has an incurable disease and... Uh, at the same time, the Enterprise discovers an asteroid that, uh, well, the inhabitants of it don't realize it's an asteroid. They think it's a planet, and it's hurling towards another planet. So uh, Kirk and Spock and McCoy have to intervene and get it off course. Uh, McCoy falls in love, gets cured, the day is saved, and they are on to their next mission. Uh, force of Nature, uh, they, they start to discover some rifts in space and discover that warp drive is actually hurting space, and they institute a warp drive speed limit which they use for maybe two or three more episodes and then forget about. So. 
good. <laughs> Justin, start us off. Well, let me talk about For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. Um, I, I really like the episode. I think it's an interesting concept that they've lived inside this asteroid for thousands of years. They don't know about it. They don't know where they're going or, or what's happening. And uh, and Kirk, Spock, and McCoy have to figure it out. Also, I think this could be the only McCoy love story that we really see. <laughs> so it's very cool for that. And 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 I like how it works and, and it feels believable. And I, I really enjoy the episode. Force of Nature, I can appreciate the conservation message of it but it's something that comes up so subtly it's not subtly suddenly that there's all of this damage uh because of warp drive and you're right zach they really mentioned it a few times you can go past the warp speed limit and then they just kind of forget about it um i i mean i think it's it is it is sad the tragedy of it that happens that the sister has to you know blow herself up to make her point but i'm gonna go with for the world is hollow i just enjoyed it more all right. Uh, Richard, what are you thinking? Well, um, I actually saw, I, I actually saw the, uh, for the world is hollow today again. Um, and it just happened to be in my queue. Um, but like, you know, watch it over and come and remembering force of nature in, uh, I absolutely love force of nature and mainly because of the conservation, uh, part of it. Um, and you know, you know, I, I guess, you know, if for it to be, brought up abruptly like that i mean isn't basically any um any real you know conservation uh agenda is going to be like that because a lot of people are, would just push that to the side or something like that if it's outside of an, if it hurts an industry or something like that and in this case it'd be space travel i mean obviously it's the backbone of you know getting from point a to point b i mean especially for warp drive so um i absolutely love this episode mainly because of that because it, you know our actions in a sense, need to be regulated uh, to uh, to preserve what we have. It's a, uh, in a sense, space is an environment as well. So, force of nature for me. All right. Well, I um I liked for the world is hollow, and I really liked it again because of that love story. I just felt like the acting was really good. I really enjoyed seeing Bones and the development of his character there. Force of nature is just okay, so I'm going with For the World is Hollow. And Ken, how about yourself? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I appreciate both what, what Justin and Richard had to say as well as you, Amy. I think that they, they, they have two, two very different elements, right? In a sense, you have Force of Nature, which is kind of a TNG battlefield type thing, you know, where you're, where you're talking about the environment and, and I guess the emotions that, that, that come along with that. But for me, um, I'm going for uh, for the world is hollow because the I, I just found the whole thing with McCoy very, very touching, and and I thought it told a really really good story. And Force of Nature, I, I enjoyed it. It sent a powerful message, but I, it for whatever reason it didn't resonate as well. But it, it still was a good episode. Yeah, yeah. All right, and Zach. So Force of Nature, uh, it's a good angle. Like, it's, there's something there. I, I'm just not sure if they kind of brought it home, what they were trying to go for. Uh, because, yeah, it, it, like everybody's been saying, whenever something like that comes up, it's like, whoa, you're telling me I can't do the thing that I always do that's bad? Like, I, I don't know about that. Like, that, that that's that's a very universal thing when you, uh, conservation, whatever, right? Uh, 
Although I just I didn't I wasn't the biggest fan of the execution and then them completely dropping ball with it for or at least just sweeping it on the rug I should say they just decided like oh, let's talk about I, I I appreciate the fact they brought it up at all honestly like if that had been on TOS to be honest they would have never brought it up again right oh yeah gone <laughs> 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 give us warp fourteen again uh, but uh, with TNG, and, and I think a couple episodes of Deep Space Nine I don't know how many but they they mentioned the warp speed limit and and we can always I think the fanboy justification is oh well they changed the warp engines and they don't affect space anymore or something it's like okay fair enough uh spore drive spore, spore drive, <laughs> yeah. clearly. clearly the spore drive um but for the world is hollow like, like you guys had mentioned uh this is a mccoy love story like like finally right i mean the mantra doesn't really count it was an old girlfriend and it was uh a monster masquerading as his old girlfriend uh in addition to that so it's nice to see that shade of mccoy and uh to see he's kind of like uh dignity in his in his last he, he He's got like a year to live, and he's going to go out with dignity, and and he found some happiness there, and and uh, and just and whenever there's a, again Kirk and Spock versus a supercomputer, I always love that trope, and they they defeat the uh, the supercomputer, which wasn't inherently evil. It just had some some programming problems that kind of led them on the course they were on. So uh, all that being said, I'm voting for for the world is hollow. All right, well another win for TOS. You guys are up two to one so far, but who's counting, right? <laughs> No, not us. No, we don't care Somebody about such things. Somebody is. <laughs> All right. Well, round nine. Is there, in truth, no beauty versus thine own self? Some very pretentious titles we have. Yes. Uh, and this one, <laughs> I think these are both yeah. Shakespeare quotes. Yeah, uh, they are. So, uh, Isn't the Truth No Beauty is the episode where Dr. Pulaski comes on board and she's blind. Uh, spoilers, uh, and uh, there's a, not really Dr. Pulaski, Diana Muldar plays the character of Miranda Jones, and uh, she she plays a, uh, uh, I guess she's the the aide to the ambassador, uh, Kolos, who's a Medusan, and he's an energy creature, uh, their whole species, and people can't look at him, uh, and if they look at him, they go crazy, and that happens to somebody in this episode, and uh, so there's a lot, so that's going on, uh, there's kind of a love triangle going on with the ambassador and the uh, engineer assistant and Dr. Jones, and then Dr. Jones is jealous of Spock because he has a tel- telepathy ability where he can communicate with with uh, Kolos, and she's she's a, a kind of low-level telepath, so she can only go, uh, you know, get so connected with him, so anyway... Those are all the factors going on in this episode. Uh, and then there's a big crux of the episode is she's blind. Uh, also, thine own self, uh, Data crash lands on a planet, a very primitive planet. Uh, he gets damaged, forgets who he is. Uh, meanwhile, Troy is taking a uh, command test, and she learns some tough lessons about uh, the choices you have to make when you're a leader. All right. Okay. Well, Richard, we're going to start with you. I had so much troubles with these two. Um, I mean, I love both of these episodes. They're great. I I love. Is there? Uh, is there? Uh, is there in no truth or in no beauty? People um, people get that wrong. I, I've, even, I've seen it wrong in like books, like reference yeah. books, yeah. Star Trek. I know, so don't right? feel bad. <laughs> I absolutely love it. It's a great story, especially when we find out that she's blind. I mean. I, I absolutely love that part, and, and it's just it's like one of those you know you know oh moments. It's like oh wow, you know. It's, um, but like Dino itself, I really love the whole um, you know data getting lo- uh, lost in that. Um, I guess in a sense, primitive culture, and um, and you know, of course, you know Troy, you know, doing that test that really doesn't matter, except for the pips on her oh, collar. Oh, it matters. <laughs> We've established it matters. Ooh, them are fighting. <laughs> she can words. do bridge watches. <laughs> Oh, bridge watches, right. So she could be the daytime commander, not the nighttime. <laughs> but like, so um, I'm going to have to go with TOS on this one. So 
Yeah. Is there in no? Is there no? Yep. You know. Isn't there truth? No beauty. Thank you. Beauty. <laughs> beauty. Yeah, just beauty. There you go. Beauty. This one is very difficult because Troy gets her command, and I love, 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 love that. Like to me, that's the a plot of the episode <laughs> <laughs> because I love seeing her go through those challenges and to learn and to be those make those difficult decisions. And we know I love Troy, and so I want to choose thine own self for that. However, I have to go with, is there in truth no beauty? It was a very interesting story. The twist of her being blind, as we talked about, I really enjoyed it. And I loved seeing Diana Moldar. She just stole it. And so I am going with that. But I so want to say thine own self because of the choice. So that's my little caveat there. That takes a lot of courage, Amy. That's good. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's move on, Ken. Yeah. So for me, a beauty's going to win, but it's it's not – oh, I think the story is just incredible. Thine whole self, I, I like the data element. I, I'd love to talk to you guys uh, someday about the whole Troy testing things, uh, the whole test that, that she went through and the why – um, and why I have so many issues with it. Um, maybe it's just because of, you know, my time, ships, things, how they're supposed to work or whatever. I thought the test itself was, was actually very creative and clever. I thought the reasons that it had to, the reason that it was done the way it was didn't make sense and it doesn't marry up to previous episodes. We don't have time to get into it now, but that's the only thing that kind of skews it the other way. Okay. Zach? Definitely going with isn't there truth no beauty? Right. Uh, I think for all the for all the reasons we're all talking about, uh, we also saw the this is the first appearance of the IDIC, uh, the Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combination, uh, which Gene Roddenberry was very happy to sell uh, after this episode as well, which is a little fun <laughs> behind the scenes story about this episode. But anyway, it's it's a great concept and and a very uh, iconic symbol in Star Trek history. Um, also, uh, I got to say that my dad ruined this episode for me. I had not seen it. And it was during the Sci-Fi Channel original series, uh, Sci-Fi Channel special edition, and we're watching it. And I say, so I don't remember what I said, but it was like during the beginning. I'm like, "Hey, how was how was she able to look at him?" He's like, "Well, because she's blind." I was like, "Well, I didn't know that. I didn't see this episode." <laughs> oh no! Anyway, so like all that twist that you guys are all amazed at, my dad's world of funny. But anyway, uh, seeing Dad. Diana is great. I know, right? Uh, the, it's cool. Energy creatures are cool, and there's just so much going on in this episode. Uh, uh, I really enjoyed it. Now, thine own self love the Troy subplot. If that were the a plot, like Amy said, that that might have won. But yeah. the, the data subplot. Ugh. I, I hate I hate amnesia stories. You know, I'm just not a fan of them. We kind of like that. That's what kind of uh, cut uh, Paradise Syndrome down for me a little bit in our last episode. I just because you know they're going to get their memories back, and then and there's I, it's such a trope, and it's a very Hollywood amnesia, right? But, oh, I can remember all the I, data has all his knowledge of like what he can do and and information and science, but he can't remember who he is or anything. And I just I, I'm just not a fan of those. So uh, I'm going with beauty. All right, Justin, is it going to be a sweep for TOS? You know what? We we talked about twelve pairings on standard orbit, and this is what the you know fourth one that that we've had here, and this is the first one so far where the choice I made in advance I'm questioning. Um, mm. So let me say a couple of things. Is there in truth no beauty? I think is a really good episode. Diana Maldor is fantastic. The twist is great. The only thing that knocks it down a little bit for me is I find it really hard to believe that there is some creature that is 
so difficult to look at, it will drive you insane. That bothers me because the rest of the episode, what happens with her, you know, the, the music that's paired with it, everything is great. Now, on the other hand, for thine own self, I like the the Troy, you know, command test stuff. I, I really like the data uh, plot as well. Yes, he loses his memory, but you get to learn. I, I like the episodes where you get to learn about you know, a certain culture and where they are, and they're kind of starting to discover science, but they have some, you know, things that they believe in that that maybe they, that they're not really sure about. And, you know, Data is unknowingly bringing this, um, this sickness to them with the, the radioactive uh, stuff. So uh, it's, it's really hard because I think it's really close, but I, I think thine own self looks a little too lonely, so I'm going to vote for it. All right. No sweep this round. Sorry. No, no sweep, sweeps. but TOS for the win. Okay. Well, our round eight puts together all our yesterdays and attached. All our yesterdays has the, uh, well, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Shocking. Uh, they beam down to the planet and they go through the Atavacron. Uh, which is uh, famous on Standard Orbit here, with Mr. Atos and all that good stuff. Uh, they find themselves in the past of a planet Serpidian, which has gone supernova, and they discover that the inhabitants of that planet are going back in time to to preserve their... They're escaping into the past uh, to escape the supernova, which is a pretty cool concept, and, and I've seen in other shades and other science fiction as well. So uh, Spock uh, reverts to a uh, pre-logical Vulcan state, falls in love. Uh, it's kind of like his city on engine forever, for some people, they say that. And uh, Kirk gets stuck in like, medieval Europe <laughs> while McCoy and Spock are stuck in an ice age. Um, attached is a, there's a, a planet that is uh, going to join the Federation. Uh, Picard and Crusher get kidnapped by uh, a faction of this planet. Um, uh, do, when they're kidnapped, they, they get, they become attached uh, with these uh, pieces of technology on the back of their neck and they can hear each other's thoughts. And because there's so much like we've had seven years of all this unsaid, feelings and thoughts and emotions for these two characters this is this is kind of their way of like kind of tying that up uh, or at least addressing it head on which they hadn't done in seven years on tg so that's really the crux of that episode in addition to the whole of oh, this planet going to join the federation pot or not yeah well that that's right attached those neural transmitters or whatever they whatever <laughs> they have i mean you know they start and it's like, oh, did you say that? I just think it's so well played. Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden really do it. And you're right. This all the seven years of the tension between they two, are they, aren't they? And they've been enjoying breakfast together. And I just have to choose attached because of that. It's to me, I just love this. I don't know of any episode I would still choose attached. I really enjoy this. Uh, Ken, how about yourself? Both very good episodes, and this is a tough one. I, I might have to do an Amy and go with Attached as well. However, all of our yesterdays is, um, and we use this term a lot, iconic. It is um, it is a wonderful episode, I thought, and, and its concept was, was really, really good. But like you, watching from the day it started, uh, uh, TNG, I, I still remember going to the launch party for TNG, that's right, fellows. As I as I rock in my rocking chair here, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, you know, and it, and it seemed to me like it it just this was two pieces that need it, it needed some explanation. It needed some closure. It just needed it, it was 
it was that good, but it, it's it's by a slim margin. I'll tell you, all our yester- if I wish we were going up against another episode because all our yesterdays should not be undercut. It is really, really strong, but it, it's the emotional part of Attached that pulls me in. Right. Zach, how about yourself? I'm going to stay TOS loyal. Uh, I'm going to remain TOS. Uh, <laughs> oh. I, uh, <laughs> all yesterday is... It's a tough one, man. Is, yeah, they're, they're good. I'm going with all yesterdays, though, because uh, as I... I'm sorry when I do these summaries, sometimes I like inject my commentary in them, so I do apologize, but I, uh, I, I do feel like it's kind of like... It's a city on the edge of every type for Spock. It's not that per se, okay? It's very different, but it's the same thing. You're back in time. You're in a situation you didn't think you'd be in. You you fall in love, you know, uh, and you know there's some good spinoff novels from this as well. I think that is elevated. There are to yes, me. Uh, time for yesterday and yesterday's sun uh, by AC Crispin are some great novels. Um, they are that, that follow up on this on this episode. Um, so I'm going with that one. Uh, also, and then the, the sci-fi concept of like escaping into the past, very cool. Uh, attached. I am not the biggest Picard Crusher guy, so for an episode to be like center on that, I'm like. Eh. So that's kind of if I had to, that kind of was the deciding factor for me. I'm not a, a shipper, as okay. they say, uh, for yes. Picard Crusher. So I didn't even know that term to... until last week. <laughs> <laughs> Where have you been? I guess I have to watch wars on our people Babel conference to figure these things out. All over the place. <laughs> you got to get hip with the lingo, Ken. So yeah, uh, I, that's, I, yeah. Well, that's yeah. my vote. Oh, yeah. We're back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Justin. Let's see here. Okay, so for all our yesterdays, I do like the concept, escaping into the past to avoid the sun going Nova. I think the Spock, Zarabeth, and McCoy's uh, story is great. Like, I'll probably take the unpopular opinion. I'm I'm not a big fan of all our yesterdays because the part where Kirk is in like this medieval past and he's being accused of witchcraft, it just brings it down and I don't like that part. It's like he really went to the Renfest, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> and he, of course, he can talk through the wall to McCoy and Spock in another time period. It's kind of ridiculous. So I, They weren't prepared. <laughs> they weren't prepared, yeah. <laughs> they weren't prepared. So, so that takes it down a little bit. Whereas for Attached, I mean, there's two parts to it. There's the, the Picard-Crusher story, which I love. I mean, I love Picard and Crusher together, second only to Picard and Darren, as I've said before. Um, the Kess-Pritt story is actually kind of um, interesting. Uh, to see this this division and all of the you know suspicions that are going on, so I'm going to go with attached. Okay, well, Richard, what do you think? Well, not that it matters, but <laughs> Your opinion matters. My yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm I'm also going to have to go with attached. I absolutely love um, this. Is actually one of the very few stories I really like with Picard and um, Crutcher because I mean it's just. Like, like like you said, Amy, I mean, they they play off each other very well, and I absolutely love that. Yeah. All right. So a win for TNG. All right. For round seven, we have the Cloudminders against Descent Part 2. So the Cloudminders has the Enterprise going to Stratos, which is a, a pre-Cloud City, Cloud City. Uh, take that, Star Wars. It, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is a class division uh, between the people who live in, well, uh, Stratos and the people who live on the ground. And uh, they're, they're having a rebellion and an uprising. And the, uh, the Enterprise has been sent there to kind of settle things because the, the strike is affecting supplies that need to be sent to other planets. So, uh, But what we find out all is not as it appears. And uh, uh, Kirk gets to the bottom of, of, uh, of a pretty much a... a 
conspiracy of classism that's going on this planet, unbeknownst to, to the higher-ups in the Federation. Uh, Descent Part 2 is obviously the follow-up to Descent Part 1. Uh, Data and Lore have joined together uh, to uh, lead the, the rogue Borg from uh, Hughes' ship, uh, which his individuality had caused him to, to go rogue from the Collective. Um, the entire Enterprise crew has beamed down to this planet to look for Data. Uh, it leaves Beverly in command, uh, which leads to some uh, some cool stuff with uh, her and the Enterprise and the, and, the, and the new Borg ship design, which is pretty cool. It's the only time you see that. And that uh, we, we get a resolution to the, the lore supply that has gone on again. Season seven, tying up these ends. Uh, lore was introduced in season one, had a couple of appearances, and this is the last time we see him, see him on, on TNG. Okay, Ken, let's start with you. Okay, tough one. Um, for me, anyway. Uh, I thought I had this all in my head, like down pat, but... I, I, the cloud miners, obviously, this this plot is not new. It, it's it's ripped out, right, right out of literature. But I, I thought it executed executed well. Descent Part One, I thought, was a really good episode, and I thought Descent Part Two just was terrible. And you know, I, I a lot of times it comes back to me as how these episodes ended. Did it seem realistic? Did it did it did it come to a point and execute well? I know we figure out what happens to Lore, but the whole coming through the tunnels and all this stuff and all this technology, it's like, oh my god, this was so simplistic. So I think I was angry at Descent Part Two because I thought it had the makings of something really special. And and again, you know, what happens a lot on Star Trek, I will say holistically, is they wrap things up in a bun so quick. It's just, oh, come on. That was just ridiculous. Um, and, and it wasn't true to form. So I'll go with the Cloudminders. All right. Uh, Zach, what about you? I'm also going to go with the Cloudminders. I feel like this episode had something to say. Uh, I love the resolution at the end where Kirk basically traps the two leaders in this in this cave. He's like, "Well, we're gonna talk about it, or we're gonna die here." <laughs> you know, so figure it out. Uh, cowboy diplomacy, right? So, uh, Descent Part Two. I I'm 100 percent aligned with Ken. I don't necessarily hate it, but it was disappointing. I mean, I remember this is you know I was I was watching Star Trek live at this point. This is actually one of the first cliffhangers that I remember. And Descent Part One was like, "Oh man, it's it's lore and the Borg is gonna be so cool." And you get to the second part, and it's like, uh, I mean, it was fine, but it's more about like, oh, look, they're torturing Jordy, and they're trapped in a cell, and we're going to use techno babble to interfere with what Lore's transmitting to Data, and um, it was just, it was, it was a letdown, you know, uh, for for what was a great setup in Descent Part One. So uh, I'm going with Cloud Miners for those reasons. Okay, TOS staying true to their form, Justin. Well, for, for I'm going to agree with some of the things that Ken and, and Zach have said. Descent Part 2 is kind of a, a letdown. And I've always had a problem with the character of, of Lore because he's a little too one-dimensional for me. Uh, it is cool that, that Beverly's in command and to see Hugh. But yeah, it's, it's, I, it is kind of a letdown. The, the Cloudminders, the first time that I saw it, I, I really didn't get the episode. But I got a chance to, to rewatch it because... Uh, Amy, you and I were on the Ready Room talking about it last year, Ready Room uh, 214 with Zachary Fruling. And there's so much that's going on. There's there's great issues related to, you know, class and warfare and conflict and the evolution of a civilization and all of that. So I came to a much greater appreciation of it. And I think it's it's a really good episode. So I'm going to vote for the Cloudminders. Okay. Richard. Um, I'm gonna go with a near sweep. Uh, we're we're getting there, <laughs> but um, I think it's gonna be the clown minders for me too. Because I mean, I also like Zach. Remember um, seeing Descent Part Two um, live um, as a kid, and it 
yeah, it wasn't wasn't the best. <laughs> but uh, yeah, all the all, everything that's that was obviously you guys have already mentioned the cloud miners did it for me. So yeah. All right. Well, yep, this will be a sweep. Uh, have to go with the cloud minders. Uh, yeah, I was on that episode with the ready room, as Justin mentioned, and there was just so many morals that I got from it. And staying true to form, got to throw in some math involved. Um, they From the clouds, they show uh, an aerial shot and they have this river and that's a fractal. So uh, I have to love it for that. Um, but I just found so many good stories in the cloud minders, um, the morals and what they were trying to talk about. And yeah, you say it's been done before and so many times, but I think they did it very well. And in Descent Part 2, I thought it was just a fine story. It was fun, um, but it just didn't grab me like the Cloudminder. So that is a sweep, the first sweep for TOS. All right. Woo! Okay. (laughs) So we're getting, man, TOS, you guys are coming up on us now. So round... There's no us. It's only we, Amy. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) There's one timeline... You're, you're, okay, yeah, you're, you're coming up on we. <laughs> Here we go. Okay, round six. We're getting up to the top five, getting close. We have Wink of an Eye and Preemptive Strike. Wink of an Eye uh, is the episode where Voyager goes to a planet which... Uh, no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I, don't know I knew you were going to do that. I had a feeling. <laughs> it would have been if they had named it that. They were thinking naming yes. the Voyager episode. They were, they were almost going to name it that. And somebody said, no, no, no. That's already been an episode name. Uh, no, but Wink of an Eye, uh, the Enterprise goes to a planet where uh, there's a species that, that lives in an accelerated rate. Uh, and so Kirk gets pulled into this rate by one of the aliens. And um, it's it's interesting uh, just because you know everybody else is... is uh, moving at normal speed, uh, so Kirk and and this uh, I forget her name. Uh, I'm sorry, but and 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 this alien is moving at super speed. Um, so you get some cool like you know time delay kind of stuff, and and think it gets you thinking about like what all could happen in a moment and, and stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of the the whole hook of that episode. Literally, all these things happening in a wink of an eye. Uh, preemptive strike. We have the uh, final episode of uh, Row Instant Row. Now Lieutenant Row has come back. Uh, she gets sent on a covert mission. To infiltrate, uh, it's it the it is the Maquis at this point. It is the Maquis, um, yeah. It is, yeah, yeah. And th- and this sets up a lot of what goes down the line in Deep Space Nine and and Voyager, and she ends up uh, joining them and and walking away from Starfleet, which which disappoints Riker and, and Picard very much. So, and it's a very uh, uh, you know bittersweet end to her character. Great to see her again, but but you hate and you but you understand why she does it, but you hate to see uh, her character arc in that way on TNG. All right, Zach. Tell us oh, me? Okay. which well, your pick. I, again, my, my, my synopsis kind of drifted into my <laughs> takes yes. here, so I apologize. Uh, but yeah, I'm going with Preemptive Strike. That's a great episode. It's the pre, it's the penultimate episode of, of TNG, so it's a great setup for the end there. Um, Instant Row has been, it was a great character, a great addition. Uh, the, my only complaint about Instant Row was we didn't see her more. I wish Michelle Forbes would have wanted to be a, a full-time character, but when we did see her, she was always great. And I... Uh, uh, I think that was a very bold move to 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 have her, you know, join the join the the bad guys, so to speak. Even though the the Mikey, they you understood where they were coming from. They were still like you know a terrorist organization. So 
uh, to, to have her walk away from Star because she 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 start out started out like a bad seed, you know, with, with everybody in the Enterprise. They didn't like her there. She had gained their trust and friendship and and found a home there. And Picard had been like a father figure. And even then, she still turns away from them after having earned their trust. So it's like a double it's a double hit to to lose her. Uh, Wink of an eye, kind of a cool. It's a cool concept. But beyond that, there's really not much to the episode, which I'm struggling with my <laughs> synopsis because it's like, oh, cool, they're moving fast, you know? Um, but beyond that, there's really not much to it. Okay. Justin. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, listeners know that I-, I love Roe as a character. I love Preemptive Strike as an episode. And I think you're right, Zach. It was a bold choice to say she's going to go join the Maquis, and that's that's all there is to it. And I think there was a lot of complexity and nuance to the episode. It felt almost like something you'd see on Deep Space Nine. So I, I love that episode a lot. For-, for Wink of an Eye, it is a cool concept, although I think they struggle in the episode with how much time would have really passed when with the people <laughs> at the regular speed. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so it's... It's, it's a little weird that way, but I'm definitely going with preemptive strike. Okay, Richard. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to go with preemptive strike too. <laughs> I mean, because I, I really like uh, A Wink of an Eye. It's a really great episode, but I think Voyager did it better. Uh, uh, but <laughs> but like, um, yeah, uh, it, it's a great, it was a great send off for um, Ro. And um, yeah, that's what I chose. Okay. Um, well... We know that I'm not a fan of Roe. <laughs> you're not a fan of, let's get this straight. You're not a fan of the Roe that's lost her memory that sleeps with Riker. Otherwise, that's true. we've established. We don't know that that's what they did. They just kissed. I mean. We know. Did, yeah. We know. <laughs> no, I, I. What kind of podcast are you running? Here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. And we were talking about Journey's End earlier, so we have actually two episodes where the choice is to leave Starfleet. So it's, yeah, interesting with that, going through this list. Anyways, um, I really liked Wink of an Eye. Really. So I'm going to go with that. I thought the concept was great and how, you know, the little buzzing, oh, I hear this, you know, insect, and then... You know, I just, I was hook, line, sinker for it. I really enjoyed Wink of an Eye. So I'm going with that. Look at you, Amy. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> not not that, that TOS has a shot here, but I, I, I looking at it as objectively as I can, uh, Wink of an Eye was a, a great concept, and I, and I enjoyed it. Preemptive Strike, I thought, was bold. I was so disappointed in the direction that row went, but I thought it was a real ballsy move. I really did. And um, and like you guys had mentioned before, it set up the whole plot line for DS9, in a way, Voyager. So I have to go with Preemptive Strike. All right. Oh, it could have been a sweep for TNG. It could have been, but you're honest. Yes. That's okay. <laughs> All right. So we've now hit the top five. Round five, we have the Savage Curtain versus Parallels. So the Savage Curtain, the Enterprise encounters the Excalbians, uh, who want to study our concepts of good and evil. So we get to see characters like Serac, Vulcan, Abraham Lincoln, fight characters like Genghis Khan, Kalos, the Unforgettable, Colonel Green, and a fourth woman whose name I always forget, because I don't think they mention her oh, in any other episode of Star Trek. Sora of Tiburon? Something like that. <laughs> uh, but they mention all these other guys repeatedly in, in Star Trek. So, um, so we, yeah, and we could find out Kirk's hero is Abraham Lincoln. 
and they dress up in the dress uniforms and Abraham Lincoln comes aboard for a little bit and it's a little cheesy in that respect but it, it's cool to see that uh, uh you know the legacy of of you know American history and Star Trek history uh and then also the Vulcan and, and Cleon history as well these things establish uh KLS and Serac moving forward for the franchise uh parallels uh you see Worf uh jump from reality to reality to reality. You can see a lot of combinations of, you know, uh, what if Picard would have died at best of both worlds? Or you know, what if Worf was the first officer? Or, you know, what if Troy and Worf got together? Right? My favorite thing. But uh, Worf, you know, th- and Worf has to use his his mind, you know, which is something that we usually see Worf as a Klingon, like being a warrior first. But he has to, you know, think outside the box to, to, to solve his dilemma in this episode. And that's part of fun of it as well as a true fish out of water story for Worf. Okay, Justin, let's start with you. Yeah, so I, I think there's some cool stuff in, in the Savage Curtain. Yeah, it can seem a, a little cheesy, but uh, I, I mean, I think seeing all of these historical figures and, and the Excalbians is actually a pretty cool um, alien for, for season three of, of TOS. So I, I like it a lot and, you know, talking about good and evil and conflict and how you go. So I actually enjoy it quite a bit, but uh, Parallels, I think, is an outstanding episode where you see Worf hopping between different parallel universes and different possibilities. It's it's definitely uh, way up there for me, so I got to go with Parallels. All right, Richard, how about you? I'm in the same boat. I absolutely love uh, Parallels. It's one of my favorites, uh, uh, you know, Wolf War stories and, and whatnot. Obviously, we get to see, you know, Troy and Worf. But, <laughs> but like, um, yeah, I absolutely love this episode. I, I you know, seeing the poss- different possibilities of what could have been for him and, and whatnot. So, well, parallels is one of my all-time favorites. I mean, now it's, it's my go-to. If there's ever something, and I think about what should I watch when I want to watch some TNG, parallels is always at the top of my list. And I love everything about it. So I am going parallels. Ken? I have to get a third co-host for Standard Orbit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's like you guys didn't even have a chance on that one. <laughs> but hey, hey, listen, this, this is a tough one. I, I can understand when you have such love and appreciation for an episode uh, like you guys have been mentioning for parallels. I do like parallels, even though it goes across timelines and stuff and drives me crazy. But for the same reason I chose chose preemptive, I'm changing I'm choosing Savage Curtain. Because so many fundamental things in Star Trek from this episode launch into TNG, launch into what is the Klingon culture, what is Vulcan, um, who Kirk really is and and you know, when I heard you guys say it, it's cheesy, it wasn't cheesy. It wasn't. It was. Um, it was. It was appropriate, and maybe it's execution in 1960s or whatever. But they did everything right, and I thought it was. Um, it was really well done. And of course, Ohura's famous words in that episode about words no longer having an impact on us that we've evolved. Uh, I thought was a very salient message for that time as well. So there's there's a lot of things about Savage that are iconic and historical to Star Trek. It doesn't take away that Parallels is a great episode. It is. But for that reason, Savage wins. Okay. Zach? Well, well said, Ken. Uh, that's a lot of... Hard, hard to follow you up on that, but I'm going to have to go with Parallels. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Parallels is really one of my favorite episodes of TNG. Maybe in my, my top 10, if not, definitely my top... Yeah, it's a great episode, no doubt. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
just just seeing all the the what if. I mean, that's the great thing about sci-fi and fantasy, right? You love the what if stories, and uh, uh, that that's a huge thing. And then and then we get to see, you know, you can see Wesley back. You know, I'm shocked they didn't bring back Tasha R for this. Usually they they would in these kinds of situations. I guess she was coming down the road and all good things. But I, uh, it's just a really fun adventure. And like I said, it's out of out of. Uh, uh, breaking the mold for all Worf stories. You know, it's a rare Worf story. It's not a Klingon story, and it's nice yeah. to see that change. Uh, but I, and I will say, Savage Curtain, I do love it. But Ken, you know, you're you're always the one talking about, you know, how do things end? Well, and we, we've talked many times about the anticlimactic ending to Savage Curtain. Like the others have fled. You have they won. have fled. Yeah, <laughs> didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, the good so, guy, the, so guy, the good guys were outnumbered. There's no doubt about it. But yeah, much like, like in this said, podcast, I, right, Ken? Oh, see what I did there? I'm just kidding. I love all you guys. I know, but I'm just you know, um, I even think to Discovery and Kalis and Kalis and this and it, it, a lot of things spread out from this episode. Yes, very good. All right, we are moving to round four, Whom Gods Destroy versus the Pegasus. Whom Gods Destroy is the episode with Garth of Izar, uh, who is a uh, Starfleet captain who is now insane. He was uh, seriously injured in the past and was uh, nursed back to health by a race of shape-shifting aliens. They, they, taught, him his, his, uh, they taught him their secrets, so now he can shape-shift himself. And uh, he traps uh, Kirk and Spock in the mental institution he is in because the, the inmates are running the asylum in that episode. And the Pegasus uh, has uh, Riker's old captain, um, Admiral Lost, uh, Admiral Pressman, from, uh, you recognize him from, uh, from Lost, I think most people would. And there's a, a secret uh, phasing cloak technology that their old ship uh, had an accident with back in the day, and Riker had, you know, lied about it and was loyal to his captain uh, and so he is uh, now Admiral Pressman has come back to retrieve it and uh, mixes the Enterprise up and all the, and all the drama there and it's in Romulan space so there's lots of uh, drama there with when a warbird shows up and Riker's loyalty is tested between uh, Pressman and Picard. Alright Richard start us off. Oh man um, so I do enjoy watching Whom Gods Destroy I really do it's 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 a fun episode, or at least I think it is. Um, but I mean, unfortunately, the Pegasus is uh, outbeats it quite a bit uh, because I, I mean, I love the whole that there's this um, whole uh, darkness to the uh, to the Federation that we see that they're doing in a sense illegal. You know, they're not they're not uh, previous to the whole. You know, oh, everyone else is doing illegal technology, and well, why? Well, you know, they're they're doing some of their own. And also, um, I love that we it gets the foundation of um, Captain Picard Day. So, yeah, absolutely <laughs> love that. Yes, absolutely love that. It's so cute on all the drawings and uh, and everything. It's great. But I mean, but not mostly because of that, but because the con- the the conflict that Riker has. <laughs> we'll do a Richard Marquez Day for you if that'll cheer you up. <laughs> it would cheer me up. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Well, I am also going to go with the Pegasus. I just think the the test that Picard and Riker have to go through and, you know, you guys talked about it on the Picard badass moments like, you know, who are, don't cross Picard. And, you know, he gives Riker that look like, well, I hope that you're going to make the right choice. And that whole di- dimension between them. And then we get the backstory with Riker and his command before serving on the Enterprise. I like the hide-and-seek with the Romulans. I really enjoy Romulan episodes, and I just have to go with the Pegasus on this one. Ken, how about yourself? 
Yeah, I, I would agree with you guys. I think Whom Gods Destroy Again is is a um, another foundational episode for all of Star Trek because of what it covers. It even talks, you know, it goes back to the Klingon War, which you know, kind of sprouted this Discovery series, uh, ca- uh, Fleet Captain Garth, all of that, the... Um, all of it was it – w- it was good. It was a good episode. I really enjoyed it. But Pegasus was um, just that much better. It, it, uh, it told a really, really good story. I think that, um, you know, it highlights a-, a lot of the things that a lot of us, when we look at especially TNG, that the Federation, as it was set up, could never survive. Um, you know, in, in, the, in yesterday's Enterprise, it kind of alludes to that with the kind of things that they've set up. So there's people in the background that see it that are trying to do something that is completely illegal to try to keep the Federation safe, safe and one step ahead. And that whole storyline to me captures me. Uh, it really does. So I, I really enjoyed Pegasus. All right, Zach? This is a real tough one because Whom Gods Destroy is actually one of my favorite episodes of season three. Uh, very enjoyable. Uh, Garth is a great guest star and villain. You get to see another Orion um, you can see an Andorian, you know, you get to see a lot, a, you know, a lot of aliens you don't usually get to see on the original series because they were few and far between. Um, but uh, <laughs> you got to go with the Pegasus, right? I mean, it's, it's a brilliant episode. Uh, it, you know, it's not established on screen, but I think in most uh, fans head canon that Admiral Preston was probably section 31, uh, the, the nefariousness they were up to. And it's just Riker. It's a rare postseason like four Riker story, in my opinion, because when once Riker kind of plateaued after best of both worlds, you know, he had a couple good episodes left in season four, like feature and perfect. But after that, he kind of stagnated his character because the next step was yeah, he should have, he should have been kept a captain and just moved to another ship at that point. Uh, so it's good to see, you know, uh, some, some Riker stories because, you know, yes, everybody loves Data, everybody loves Worf, and they kind of started taking the lion's share of the stories. But Riker's first officer, you know, he had a lot of focus in the early years, and he kind of drifted away from that. So this is, this is like the last great Riker story to to close out the show. And, and I, th- I think everybody loves the Pegasus, especially the writers and executive producers of Enterprise. Right, guys? Yes, that's, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Justin, we're going to have a sweep. Well, let, let me say this, uh, just a few things about Whom Gods Destroy. Uh, I think Garth is an interesting character. One of the things, I, I like all the aliens, and one of the things I also like is that Garth wears a blue boot and a green boot, which shows that he's mentally unstable, but they never like zoom in on it or point it up. So I love the subtlety to, to little details like that. But but like overall, I think there, there's parts of it that are over the top, and it's extremely hard for me to watch him like blow up Marta. That's just extremely oh, it's evil, yeah. It's terrible. So I, I, I struggle with that one. And you know, for all the reasons you guys have given, Pegasus is an amazing episode. I love seeing the phasing cloak, things with the Romulans, things that have gone on in Riker's past. I mean, just all across the board, it's great. So I'm gonna give it a sweep and choose the Pegasus. All right. That's great. Very excited to see that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So we are to round number three, the Enterprise Incident versus Gambit. The Enterprise Incident sees uh, Kirk going crazy and taking the Enterprise into the neutral zone. Uh, They get captured by Romulans, who are now using a Klingon-designed ship. Um, Spock ends up uh, having a uh, romantic connection to the uh, Romulan commander of the fleet of ships there. Uh, 
as as the episode unfolds, it's it discovered that it's all a ruse. The Kirk and Spock were, were acting, uh, you know, in secret from the crew, so there would be no, you know, uh, uh, plausible deniability on the on the point of Starfleet uh, to steal a cloaking device because the Romans have a new updated cloaking device that Starfleet wants to get his hands on. And they do. And Scotty is a miracle worker and gets it plugged in in about 15 minutes uh, <laughs> to uh, Starfleet technology, which is truly amazing. Gambit is a two-parter that shows uh, Picard undercover as Galen, uh, the uh, the uh, name of his uh, uh, old uh, archaeology uh, professor and friend, um, looking for a, a very powerful artifact that uh, Savick... No, not, it's not Savick. It's Robin <laughs> Curtis, though, uh, <laughs> is also looking for. Uh, uh, again, Picard, it, it starts out with an investigation that uh, uh, Picard is apparently killed, but then the Riker does find him on the alien ship. He had faked his death um, to get closer to the to, to the story on this. And then it's a fun uh, it's a fun adventure with Picard kind of playing a role for most of the episode. Him and Riker are put at odds. Data takes command of the ship. Uh, him and Worf are put at odds. Lots of com- uh, conflict on, on that front. Okay. Uh, Zach, start us off. Oh, you got to go with the Enterprise Incident. Uh, that's one of the best episodes of Star Trek, period. And uh, just, uh, it's iconic. Uh, like Kim was saying, you know, with uh, Savage Curtain, right? There's a lot of things established in this episode that carry on uh, forward to uh, Star Trek uh, moving forward, like Raman Klingon Alliances. Uh, Raman Commander is an excellent character uh, to see a, a, a woman captain, which is the first we'd seen in TOS at that point, a very powerful uh, uh, alien captain. Uh, all the scenes with her and Spock, great. Kurt going over the top, crazy. You know it's an act, so it's great there. And just, just a, like a Mission Impossible take on Star Trek. Uh, Gambit. Uh, I don't think it needed to be a two-parter. They probably could have condensed it into one. So I think that kind of hurts the overall story where it stretched out a little too thin. All right, Justin, how about yourself? Well, I I do love the Gambit two-parter. There's a lot of great stuff going on there. Picard with his archaeology interests, this pirate ship, seeing Robin Curtis in another Star Trek role. It's excellent, and I really enjoy it. However, uh, the Enterprise incident is one of my favorite episodes in all of Star Trek. I think it's an amazing Romulan story. The Romulan commander is amazing. Just like the whole feeling of the episode, I think it just hits everything it needs to. So I'm going to go with the Enterprise incident. Okay, Richard, yourself? Wow. All right. Um, (laughs) The Enterprise... The Enterprise doesn't seem to be very popular. <laughs> I was actually going to choose it, uh, choose the um, Enterprise incident, but I changed it to Gambit uh, mostly because I do love I do love seeing the uh, that story of uh, of him. Uh, you know, in a sense, not really going for his dream, but I mean, like I mean, it's it's what he wants to do. I mean, it's I mean, especially for Picard. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, this one is difficult because I know Gambit. I I really really enjoy it. Um, but it, you're right, having it be a two parter probably could have done better as one. Uh, but when I watched the Enterprise incident, I was engaged the whole time. I really enjoyed it, and I know especially for being TOS, like I was just so surprised at how good it was. So I'm going with the Enterprise incident. Ken? I'm with you, Amy, and everybody but Richard on this one. The Enterprise incident is its one of the best Star Trek episodes ever. Gambit was okay. I thought it was a, a mid-level episode. I enjoyed it, uh, the two-parter. I did enjoy it, but Enterprise incident by, by leaps and bounds. Very good. Okay, we've got round two, Tholian Web and Lower Decks. Ooh. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Thelian Webb sees the Enterprise find the sister ship the Defiant in interphasic space. Uh, uh, Kirk gets trapped over there, becomes interphasic himself. Meanwhile, they're in Tholian space, who are crystalline aliens who uh, spin a web of energy around the Enterprise, and they have to save Kirk and escape the, Thol- the titular Tholian Webb. Uh, Lower Decks is about the... Uh, well, the, the 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 non-main characters, the the non-senior uh, staff of TNG, we can see it's a different kind of point of view episode. From you know, what if what if you were just a that guy sitting next to Data on the bridge while all this stuff was going on in the conference room, and there's a conflict uh, with uh, uh, spies and Majorans, Cardassians, and there's a lot of intrigue there. And again, it's it's more intriguing because you were not uh, part of the the story. You have to keep guessing, like the main characters of this particular episode are throughout the story. All right, uh, Justin. Yeah, it's interesting because before I did this rewatch, I probably would have made a, a different choice. But um, so for Tholian Web, I, I I love the episode. I think there's a lot of great stuff that's that's going on. It's very interesting, although some of the Kirk stuff is a bit over the top. But um, I think it's a great episode. And it, of course, made possible the Enterprise Mirror Universe episode and some of the stuff in the Discovery Mirror Universe. So I think it's a really good episode. Now for Lower Decks, I've actually struggled with it a bit before. I know that lots of people love the episode, but I've struggled a bit with the performances. But somehow this time around, I got it and I really understood like all the performances and everything they were going for. So now I, I really appreciate and think it's 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 one of the best. So I'm going to go with Lower Decks. All right. Richard. Aye, aye, sir. <laughs> um yeah i i absolutely love totally web but then again i also do love lower decks (laughs) so choosing between these two um was extremely difficult um and i'm gonna have to go with totally web oh okay (laughs) you haven't done that in a while buddy (laughs) i know right right zigzag (laughs) zigzag well, um, Tholian Web, um, I recently watched twice, um, cause I fell asleep. Um, oh. I just, I didn't quite get it, I guess. I don't know. And I really enjoy Lower Decks. So I'm going with Lower Decks. I do apologize. Why? Ken? <laughs> I don't think you need for? to apologize. Yeah. I think, yeah, just I think opinions. That's... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so uh, t- tough, tough one for me. Tholian Web again, you know, because it's a, a, I think, Amy, it's it's a really solid episode that not only is it part of Discovery, it's part of Amira Darkly. It's it's all over Star Trek, right? There's this whole interphasic space, the Defiant, even the name uh, in the Tholians. However, Lower Decks is is a really good episode, and I wish they could have done a lot more with it. I think it's Star Trek's greatest flaw is that you have a ship with a thousand people and you know nine Right. And, and it, it, it's always bothered me. And I'm glad they did an episode on it. I thought they did okay with it. It wasn't great, but they did okay with it. So I keep going back and forth. But for me, I, I think Tholian just edges it out because of its impact on Star Trek. Lower Decks, great concept. Damn, I wish they had gone further with it. And we're playing more in that realm, even in Discovery. All right, Zach. So you are the tiebreaker here. Oh man, I haven't been a tiebreaker. You know, by the way, Amy, I like the way you've been rotating it this time. I was doing the snake kind of back and forth like a draft. You're doing it where you know different rotations. So now I'm I'm in this precarious position. So yes, you're welcome. Oh man, this is really tough. I was going to say this was probably this and the uh, the, for definitely this episode. This is the toughest choice I've had to make. Um, 
And you're all looking at me like I have to make a choice now. It's tough. Oh my gosh. Oh, I got. I got it. You know what? I got to go with the iconography and the history. I got to go with Tholian Web. Oh. Um, because I mean, because and look at where that's happened. Like we said, Enterprise Discovery. We're still pulling back to that episode, The Defiant. Right? They named the Defiant. Ronald D. Moore, being a fan of TOS, named the Defiant of Deep Space Nine after the Defiant in this episode. So it's just so much mythology uh, spun off this episode. I love Lower Decks, though. Like that is a great. Uh, p- the, the point of view was was a very clever conceit. I wish we'd like Ken said. I wish we'd seen more of that. Uh, it, it'd be great to figure out, find out what these, they could have milked TNG, TG could have ran another seven years if they took more different approaches like this, you know, uh, and just see like, Hey, okay, we need a Patrick Stewart cameo next week. But other than that, we're good. You know, something like that. See the, the other characters of the ship really flesh it out. But that, that is a really, really, really tough one, but flying away by hair. All right. Well, <clears throat> we are down to round one, the best episodes of the last season of TOS and TNG. Just listeners, if you're keeping score, but we aren't, um, TOS has six, (laughs) right? And TNG has five. So it all comes down to this. We have Day of the Dove versus All Good Things. Day of the Dove sees the Enterprise uh, rescuing a Klingon crew from whose ship exploded. Uh, they beam them aboard the Enterprise, and uh, an energy being who thrives off uh, conflict uh, pits them uh, in conflict against each other throughout the whole episode, and they figure that out and, and realize that they have to work together with a positive, <laughs> the power of positive thinking, they're able to defeat the energy being. And uh, all good things, of course, the serious finale of The Next Generation. Uh, Picard's jumping back and forth through three time periods uh, to save humanity from a problem he himself caused by jumping back and forth through time through the three time periods. Paradox. (laughs) Richard, we are going to start with you. You have to make a decision. Oh, man. Okay, so I haven't seen Day of the Dove in a very long time, so I watched it today. And I couldn't watch a lot of episodes today, Richard. (laughs) What's that? Yeah, I know. No, no, no. There's only four episodes I've watched today. (laughs) Only four. Just four. Just four. Just four. Um,. I couldn't believe how much I loved it. I, I just, I mean, I've seen all good things. God knows how many times, but like, it's just, I was like, well, watching day of the dove. I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's just, this is a great episode. So I'm going to have to go outside my show. I'm sorry, guys. I'm going with Dave oh. the Dove. New co-host, <laughs> sorry. applicants apply. Sorry. Email me. Hey, uh, hey, Ken, I hear you got an opening. R- Richard, you, you and I will have to switch. <laughs> oh, my, my I'm heart. I'm sorry. I'm not I know, even I lying know, to you. I, was like, wow. I love that episode. Wow. <laughs> my heart is pounding, Richard. I didn't see, I didn't see that one coming. No. Oh, oh my wow. gosh. Wow. Uh, Talk about zigzag. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sheesh. Oh, okay, seriously. <laughs> Calm down, Avery. Calm down. <laughs> okay, Day of the Dove is really good. I was surprised at how good it was. And the interesting and the, you know, again, controlling your emotions and not letting anger take over and having that win out the day is all good stuff. But I... All good things. Come on. That is, in my opinion, the best episode of Star Trek ever. <laughs> it's even better than the movies. And you know I love my nemesis in First Contact. I'll, I'll All agree it's better than nemesis. All good things is cinematic. It completely wraps up all of the seven years in the best way possible. It's time travel. It's character development. It's so good. There, it 
all good things for the win. That's what I'm saying. And yeah, it, I cannot, that is another go-to, that is another go-to episode in my book. Cause that, okay. I will stop. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Ken, which one do you like? Amy, everything you just said about all good things is true. I, it, it may be my favorite episode across all Star Trek. I I love it that much. I, I think it, uh, I remember the first time seeing it when the series ended and, and, and being completely blown away. And then probably that's why I hate Generations so much because if they could have done a tenth of what they did in All Good Things, Generations would have been a decent movie, but exactly. they didn't. They didn't pull it off. And 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 as much as I like Day of the Dove, it's a great episode. I think it's it's um, again. It, it, there's a lot of great action in it. It's an interesting concept, an alien that feeds off fear and things like that. I, you know, it's, it's kind of Justice League like with the with the bad guys. But uh, no, there, I, it would be hard for me to defend all good things against any, uh, not just TNG movies, all Star Trek. I mean, holistic all Star Trek. That's how much I love that show, that episode. Excuse me. All right, Zach. Not the biggest fan of Day of the Dove. I like Kang as a character, and I like the message of the episode. But other than that, I mean, fighting with swords and stuff like that, I was like, I, I don't know. I just didn't, it just didn't connect with me uh, as some, as much as some of the other Klingon episodes had for, for TOS. Uh, so definitely all good things. Everything you guys, I mean, all good things is right up there with sitting on forever when people talk about it, you know, uh, in the pale moonlight, right? These are in the upper echelon of the best Star Trek episodes of all time. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great way to put a bow on seven years of adventures with the next generation. So that's my vote. Justin? Yeah, I was actually surprised that in Trek Ranks, Day of the Dove was number one for TOS oh, I was three. shocked. I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> okay, that should be the Enterprise incident with only what. But setting that aside, I enjoy the Day of the Dove. It's an interesting episode. I think it's pretty great that they end up just laughing at the end, Klingon and human together. The back slaps, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But but it's it but it's it's nowhere near all good things for me. All good things for all the reasons you guys have said is amazing. One of the best in in all of Star Trek. So that's definitely where my vote goes. Oh, so I'm gonna be the one on my own. Oh, I see how it is, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Dude, what are you thinking? Day of the Dove or all good well, things? Okay. I mean, it's. I, I mean, I really liked it. I mean, to be. I mean, to be uh, quite honest. I mean, I think. I think it's because of the main reason why. If I were to rank it against the, uh, against all good things, I've seen all good things so many times that it's honestly well, it's all good things fault, to me. Okay, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's gotten boring. You should to talk me. with I mean, Jim Morehouse about Day of the Dove because obviously he <laughs> yeah, loves it too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that was fun. Awesome. So that ends our crossover with Standard Orbit and TNG. Just. Again, we're not counting, uh, but here we had uh, the original series take six wins and TNG take six wins. So uh, very fun doing this. Very happy to have you guys on. Great idea, Zach. Uh, final thoughts, Zach? No, it's just a lot of fun. Like we, like we said at the end of our last episode, uh, this is basically just you know a framework for us to talk some TNG and for y'all to talk some TOS. And just uh, it's just fun to get everybody's take because everybody's coming at it from everything from a such uh, everybody's coming at it from a di- different place. So it's fun to go back and forth and see what particular thing about what particular episode kind of elevates it among others for for whatever particular person. So uh, looking at the last you know when shows end season three TOS season seven of TNG. Uh, 
running out of steam for different reasons on each show, but uh, interesting to compare them both. And I had a lot of fun talking about it with y'all over these last two episodes. Yeah. Ken? And I love all of Star Trek. So all that being said, it's all good, right? It's all good things. <laughs> You're stepping on my mic time, buddy. What's up with that? Oh, you, you never do that on, on Standard Orbit. Thank God. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks so much for having us on, on Earl Grey, especially me. I, I love being able to step out of the Standard Orbit box and, and talk about other things, particularly uh, TNG, because it's a wonderful series. You guys do a wonderful job, I think, as as great ambassadors for the show. And, and I really enjoyed this exercise. It was a lot of fun. I, I'm glad to see it was a little bit more balanced than it was on Standard Orbit. But <laughs> the way these these were matched up was was quite unique. But um, but but thank you. And and I hope people um, I'm just gonna say, you know, you can find Zach and I on Standard Orbit. You can find me on the Babel conference. Uh, I look forward to your comments on both. And uh, again, uh, Justin, Richard, Amy, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Well thank you. Thank you. All right. Well uh, Justin, what are your final thoughts? Yeah, I, I mean, it was really interesting doing this. I maybe not everybody did this, but I went and rewatched most of these episodes, probably forty out of the fifty, and it was an interesting experience because I had more of an appreciation for TOS season three, more of an appreciation for certain episodes in season seven, and I changed my assessment of some and how I would have felt about them before. So it was great. I, I really loved doing it, and you know, running down all our opinions for those those seasons. It was it was quite interesting. But I do have to say, overall, I still enjoy TNG Season 7 more. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, Richard? Um, I, I watched a good portion of these movies. I mean, uh, movies. <laughs> Episodes. Um, some of them I had to uh, go off of memory. But, I mean, uh, I, I, I'm I in the same boat with, uh, with Justin on uh, appreciating Season 3 more. I mean, I've seen... I mean, all three, all three series, but like, it's like going over them again, comparing them, um, with, with other, um, TNG episodes, greats and the worst. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. I, I, I'm glad we did it because now I have a further appreciation for both, um, TNG and TOS. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sort of wondering if this was some, uh, conniving to get me to watch more TOS. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I did. I really, uh, it just seemed like when I liked TOS, I liked it. And when I didn't, I didn't. And I'm more even killed with TNG. So that was interesting for me to learn, you know, sort of more about the original series. And, but I still, really appreciate the foundation that it set. And like you, and we talked about, there's so many episodes that, you know, really the morals and the cerebral and the thinking and the Gene Roddenberry vision really comes through most definitely in, in this series, of course, over any others, including TNG. So I really, it gave me a much greater appreciation for the original series, but yes, TNG is still my favorite. So a preview of next week's episode, we have an interview with director James L. Conway. Uh, Justin, you want to tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so um, James L. Conway directed three episodes of The Next Generation, Justice, The Neutral Zone, and Frame of Mind. He also directed episodes of Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, actually some really excellent episodes of that series as well. So uh, next week, we'll be having an interview with him to try to, you know, get his thoughts on directing and those episodes that he worked on. And I think it should be really good. Yeah. So listeners, if you want to watch those episodes, that was Justice, The Neutral Zone and Frame of Mind. 
uh, that'll prepare you for next week. Well, it's been fun talking about the best 12 episodes of TOS Season 3 and TNG Season 7, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Ready Room. I should have had my mom buy me everything because now it would be worth a ton, like the goofy Spock helmet. But I remember hooting <laughs> at those things back in the day. <laughs> you know, like, they think we're just stupid. That wasn't in the show. You don't have a real phaser wouldn't say Star Trek on the side of it. Standard orbit. I cannot find anybody in print saying... We're going to the standard Enterprise Delta to honor the Enterprise as being the first ship of the constellation, you know, the first of the five-year mission ships to come back relatively intact with its crew and ship intact. And it was not a, some fan did not just say this. Somebody in the production somewhere, and someday by God I will find where this came from because like we didn't all have this mass group hallucination about it. Somebody put out, felt the need to say everybody's wearing an Enterprise patch now, so, you know, that's past us. To the journey! So if we're going to have a more Vulcan-like Tom in Tuvom, presumably Tuvom would have to meditate, and he would have to go somewhere to meditate. I'm thinking he wouldn't just go to his quarters to meditate with candles like Tuvok does, or he wouldn't go sit on some rocks on a planet somewhere. He would go in the holodeck and lock himself in his Camaro and meditate with the radio on. What would be playing on the radio? Vulcan opera. Oh, <laughs> that sounds horrible. Warp five. <laughs> Shows so the, the gestation of the Borg from their first cube and the diamond ships. <laughs> Just transwarp conduits. Floating on the ocean. <laughs> Little Borg yes. spacemen. Yep. Before they were fully immune to the outside uh, elements, so they had little space helmets, Borg space helmets. Mm-hmm. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation on the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it shall come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not hopping between three different time periods? Well, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge, which is our podcast for Discovery. I do that with Brendan Shea Mutella. And you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson. But my favorite place is on the Babel Conference. Uh, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not trying to break out of a Tholian web? 
<laughs> I've gotten out of it. No. Uh, well, they can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference. And on Twitter, my handle is xransom. So, Justin, uh, where can people contact you when you're not talking to Abraham Lincoln in space? Well, that's only happened once in my life, so I don't know. Maybe it'll happen again someday. <laughs> well, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Uh, currently tweeting out my Season 5 rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And we'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Today is a good day to die! Things are only impossible until they're not. Great joy and gratitude. Thank you.